0: Well, I'm going to start with a pop quiz today. You know, a pop quiz is a a test you didn't have the opportunity to study for, so uh, just bear with me here. What do the following events have in common? Event number one, Exxon Valdez oil spill, one of the worst, worst environmental disasters of all times. As you know, 11 million gallons of oil spilled off the coast of Alaska. Event number two, three-mile island accident in Middleton, Pennsylvania. A nuclear reactor leaked coolant. It went unnoticed for a long time, which resulted in the reactor's core melting, and it took 12 years to clean that up and cost about a billion dollars. Event three, Air France Flight 447 crashed and killed all 228 passengers along with the crew. And finally, the Selby rail crash in the UK it's the worst United Kingdom rail disaster of the 21st century. Have you guys figured it out yet? What do all of these have in common? Were they all disasters? Yes. Were they all tragedies? Yes. Were they all easily avoidable? Yes, they were. And they were all caused by somebody who fell asleep on a job. I bet you didn't know that, did you? Every one of those. Major contributing factor was somebody who fell asleep and neglected their responsibility and lives were lost. If you fall asleep in the middle of something, even something important like a movie or a sermon (laughs) or a play or maybe even a flight, taking some good naps on a flight, that's not a big deal, right? Catch your Z's, relax, enjoy the trip. But if you're flying the plane, if you're an actor in the movie, If you're preaching the sermon, that's not good. That's bad. That's real bad. Well, listen, in in this passage, Jesus tells us four different times. If you study this passage in the English Standard Version, which is the English translation we use, the word awake is there four times. What's Jesus saying to us? He's talking about the return of Christ, the second coming, when all of history culminates in this one event that's cataclysmic, it's global, everybody sees it. And Jesus is talking to his followers those who have believed him those who want to be on mission with him and he's saying stay awake Be alert Why does he do that? He does that because we have been entrusted with a mission And we all have a role to play that's vital all of us do and Jesus does not want us to fall asleep on the job So to speak, I know that's cliche There's urgency to what he says and there's responsibility And I told you last week, this doctrine, the second coming of Jesus Christ, this is a critical teaching in the Bible. It's mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament alone. Jesus talked about it all the time. It's in every major creed, confession, doctrinal statement. And I would go so far as to say this, and I did last week. You cannot live a recognizably Christian life unless... You not only believe this—that Jesus is coming back—but that you actually think about it and meditate on it and let it affect the way you live. Let me say that again: You cannot live a recognizably Christian life unless you not only believe this, but you meditate on it, you reflect deeply on it, and you let it shape your life and affect the way you live. And last week, we talked about uh, two of those ways that this should shape your life. We only got to the second point; you guys weren't listening fast enough. So we only got to point two. Point one was to long for it, to watch for it. And we talked about that for a little bit. What does that mean? You know, Christianity is the only religion in the world that encourages its followers without trepidation, without terror, without being intimidated and suspicious and paranoid. It's like, you should long for the king's return. The king is returning, and that's a good thing for you if you're in Christ. You should long for that. You should watch for that. You should wait for that. Can't wait for that to happen. It's all over the Bible, this this joy, this expectation. That's why there's analogies used like uh, birth pains, when there's wars and rumors of wars and persecution and volcano, and there's like disruption and unsettled things in the earth itself and the wildlife with human beings hating each other, shooting up malls, shooting up schools, shooting up churches, with there being injustice reigning everywhere, Jesus says all these things are like birth pangs. And that means we're one step closer to the baby being born, and that's a good thing. There's pain in the contractions, but when that baby comes, what joy and, it's, and all the pain, it made it worth it. He's saying long, look for it. Look for this. I was reading in Titus chapter 2 uh, a little bit earlier this week, And the Apostle Paul says this. This is an amazing passage, really. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, this grace of God, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then he says this, Waiting for our blessed hope. That's what Paul calls the doctrine of the second coming. Waiting... That The grace of God trains us and teaches us to wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know very many people who are religious who long for Christ to reappear and to come back? In any other religion, do you know that? I can tell you this. And I'm being honest, this is what I know, because I've talked with Muslims, I've studied Islam, you would be hard-pressed to find a Muslim who is excited about standing in the presence of Allah. That terrifies them. Why? Because there's no assurance. Are you in, or are you out? Are you safe, or are you in danger? Do you have assurance or do you lack it? That's why radical things happen where people are willing to do anything to get this guilt-edge guarantee that they're going to be on the winning side of history, like blowing themselves up, right? Dying in jihad. Christianity is the only religion that says you should long for the return of your Savior. That is a good thing. Lift your head high. Remember last week, that, that verse in Luke? When you see these things happening, Hold your head up high because your redemption is close. That means you're about to be set free. Set free from what? From a broken body, from a broken planet, right? From a heart that condemns you, from this battle that we call sanctification. You're, you're at war with the devil. You're at war with the world. You're at war with the flesh. Aren't you ready for the war to be over? Aren't you? Jesus and Christianity and the Bible assumes you are. That's why it's a good thing to confess even so, Come, Lord Jesus. You know, that's the very last words in the New Testament. Did you know that? In the book of Revelation? It says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. That's Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you find it hard to confess that as a Christian? There's probably some reasons why. Maybe you haven't been... Maybe you haven't understood exactly what this doctrine represents. And so you're petrified... You're thinking, maybe I'm not ready. Maybe he's going to catch me off guard. Maybe Jesus is coming to judge me. Maybe he's coming like the father that, that, whose m- uh, wife threatened their ch- children. Where do your father comes? Right? I heard that growing up at times, and I needed to. But we think, is, are, is Jesus happy with us? Is he going to show up and say, I'm so disappointed in you? That's a lot of, even Christians, that's their version of the second coming. That's why they miss out. The, all their joy is robbed and deprived. They're, it's deprived from them. It's not something they look forward to. But the grace of God teaches you to long for it. Why? Because we're saved by grace. We didn't do anything to earn God's favor. It's all of grace. Jesus paid it all. Jesus won the war. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus took your punishment. And therefore, we look forward to him coming. He has a reward with him. The Bible says he's going to return. He's going to show up as a groom coming to redeem his bride and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Aren't you looking forward to hearing those words? I am. I'm looking forward to hearing those words, knowing that they can only be uttered because of the faithfulness of Christ, not my fickle faithfulness because of his. So we should long for this. This doctrine represents hope. And quite frankly, if you take this doctrine away or de-emphasize it or marginalize it or mock it, you don't have any hope at all what hope do you have that that final justice is going to be served? You don't. If Jesus isn't going to come back, then justice isn't going to be served. His righteousness isn't going to be vindicated. The kingdom's not going to be established. The new heavens and the new earth aren't going to drop down from heaven. We don't have any of those things to look forward to. That's why this is so critical and it's so important. It's the end of poverty. It's the end of of disease. It's the end of war. And those are good things to celebrate and look forward to. That's why we should long for this. All of us should long for this. You know, I I believe this. I'm I'm a Baptist. I grew up in a Baptist uh, church. And we talked about, you know, these periods of history. And if you read this, the Bible like a story, it's creation, fall, redemption. That's the way that we always heard it uh, preached, which is good, but incomplete. That's incomplete. You know what's missing at the end? Somebody want to say it? Talk to me. I'm a Baptist. You can talk back to me. Restoration. Restoration. Creation, that's in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, fall, that's in Genesis 3. It didn't take long to run everything God created, right? Creation, fall, redemption, that's the cross. But so often, that's a beautiful thing, living under the cross. But so often, we stay right there with the death and the weakness and the humiliation of Jesus. And we forget there's a whole other chapter coming. Where all things are going to be restored. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. And I am looking forward to that. Because when I look around, sometimes all I see is death and disease and poverty and persecution and conflict and temptation and defeat and weakness and struggle. Some of you are like, man, there's more to Christianity than that. I know there is. I'm just saying sometimes we can just fix our minds on those things. And I'm dwelling on, you know what? Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything right. All the things that are sad are going to become untrue, right? All moral accounts will be settled. I'm looking forward to that. Come, Lord Jesus. So that was point one. That's just review in case you weren't here. You can get the, you can watch the message online or whatever. Point two was really fast and its confidence. Jesus said, and, and by the way, point one was from the verse, uh, in, the, in those days after the tribulation, The sun is going to cease to give out its light. The moon is not going to be reflecting the light from the sun. Stars are going to fall from heaven. There's cosmic disturbance in the heavens. The powers are going to be shaken. And then, it says in Mark 13, the Son of Man will come in clouds with great power and glory, and every eye will see Him. This is like a cosmic global event. It's not localized. Every eye will see Him. This is like major cataclysmic, history culminating event that's going to happen. It's the next event on the prophetic uh, time calendar, if you want to say it that way. And we're longing for it. Point two was that uh, confidence. Wait on it. It's how how sure are we because we keep hearing all these predictions and maybe Jesus was just a misguided. Maybe, I mean, he says he didn't know the day or hour, right? So how does he really know? Listen, Jesus said in that passage, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words won't pass away. And he said, it's happening, it's happening. It's as good, it's as, as guilt-edged of a guarantee as Jesus' existence itself. So first was longing. How, how should this doctrine affect our life? We should long for it, we should wait for it. Secondly, we, we should have confidence it's gonna happen. And the third thing we never really got to was, was missional. We should work toward it. We should work toward it. That's what Jesus is really talking about in this chapter you know he's answering questions here this is the longest answer to any question Jesus ever gave his disciples ask him basically when is this gonna happen and what are the signs gonna be they were obsessed with that and listen don't you still see that people today are obsessed with it aren't they in the wrong way the wrong kind of obsession when's it gonna happen and how are we gonna know so Jesus answered those two questions and he answered them to what should have been the satisfaction of the disciples But what's interesting to me is that they're still asking them, even after Jesus has died and been resurrected. Listen to this in Acts chapter 1. This is after Jesus rose from the grave. He's about to ascend to heaven, and he's spending 40 days with his disciples, talking to them about the kingdom. Listen to what they say. So when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're asking, is this it? it? Is this it? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power from the Holy, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the end of the earth. Do you hear that? His disciples still are obsessed with when is it, when is it? And he says, that's none of your business. I'm being nice here. Jesus says, wrong emphasis. But what's really, I think, escapes the notice of a lot of Bible teachers and Bible students is what he replaces that obsession with. He says, none of your business, that's not for you to know, but you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the, uh, Galilee, and the uttermost parts of the world. You know what he's doing? He's bringing them back to mission. There's work to be done here. When's this going to happen? Soon, it's going to happen. Soon, you need to be ready, and what it means to stay awake, to be alert, to be prepared, to be vigilant is to get on mission with Jesus. We have a mission to accomplish, we're not alone. The Bible says, All authority has been given to you, Jesus is going to be with us to the end of the, of the age. But we've got a mission to accomplish, and we're to be about it, and that's the last thing that Jesus says in that section that Bill read for us. Let's, let's look at it together here. And I want to point out a few things and then we'll close. So it's starting in verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Now, man, we could just talk. That could be the sermon right there. <laughs> that would settle a lot of arguments and, but would probably lose publishers a lot of money <laughs> writing these books, Right? nobody knows let's say that out loud how many people in this room know the exact hour or day that jesus is going to come back nobody knows right nobody knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father be on guard keep awake for you do not know when the time will come second time he said it you don't know It is like, and then he gives a little story, a little parable. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. Did you hear that? He puts people in charge of things, privilege. He gives them work to do, responsibility, purpose, mission. And he commands the doorkeeper, stay awake. Are you guys hearing the theme here? Awake. Therefore, stay awake. (laughs) For you do not know, there it is again, you don't know. You do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Those are the four watches of night for Gentiles in Rome They had four watches and they were all in the middle of the night. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, he's talking to his disciples, I say to all, he's talking to Grace Life, stay awake. So there's, if you could say there's two things that are, we can't even dispute on an, on an intellectual level because they're so irrefutable. Two things you get from this is what? Jesus is coming back. Agreed? What's the second thing? Yeah, that's the third thing actually, but Jesus is coming back. You don't know when. So Bill, what's the third one? Stay awake. That's right. That's right, and that's what we're looking at here together. This entire sermon is the third point from last Sunday, which is why I wanted to carry it over. We have a mission to accomplish. Can I read this from C.S. Lewis? It's a short quote, and it was from the 1950s. Check this out. There is a real difficulty in giving this doctrine, he's talking about the second coming, the place which it ought to have in our Christian life without at the same time running a certain risk. The fear of that risk probably deters many teachers who accept the doctrine from saying very much about it. We must admit at once that this doctrine has, in the past, led Christians into very great follies. Apparently, many people find it difficult to believe in this great event without trying to guess its date, or even without accepting as a certainty the date that any quack or hysteric offers them. Man, if he could have lived to see all the quacks and hysteria that came after his death. To write a history of all these exploded predictions would need a book. And a sad, sordid, tragic, comical book it would be. Yeah, so the disciples were asking Jesus two questions. When's this going to happen? And what will be the signs? And Jesus answered both of those questions. And he answered a third question that they didn't ask but that they should've, and that we're gonna ask and answer today. And the third question is this, what do we do in the meantime? How are we prepared? That's, what he, that's the question that he, he answered. And he says, stay awake. It's interesting that Jesus is so practical here, so pastoral, he saved the best for last, didn't he? In other words, when we talk about the second coming, the one thing that Jesus wants you to take away, you know, I'm a, I, I speak in public quite a bit, and I'm always interested in what are the people gonna take away? A dumb illustration that I used that I shouldn't have or a mistake that I made or one little minuscule point that, that maybe shouldn't have been included or is the, like this, this one thing. Jesus was the master communicator and he knew the thing that he wanted his disciples to take away, he was going to save for the last and he was going to mention it five times just to make sure that they got it and that we get it too. And it's this idea of being alert, staying awake. It's the most important thing now maybe you're like me and some of the teaching you've encountered or just maybe some of the impressions no fault of anybody else just maybe the air you breathe you would read this or you would think about it and it would make you paranoid even as a Christian as a young Christian it certainly did me I always thought Jesus is going to show up at any given moment which is true but I also thought no matter what I'm doing he's going to be unhappy with me unless I'm sitting in church Now I believe that, I'm ashamed to tell you this. I believe that unless I was sitting in church or reading my Bible or in the the act of deep devotional pious prayer, that Jesus was somehow gonna be disappointed with me when he shows up. Now let me ask you a question, maybe don't answer it out loud. (laughs) What's the likelihood that that's gonna be the case for most of us? I mean, we meet once a week in here for two hours, sometimes more, it's my fault, okay? (laughs) And it says pray without ceasing, but I mean, come on, you got to sleep eight hours, right? You got to eat dinner. I've got six kids. I'm not praying all the time. I mean, a lot of the time the six kids cause me to pray, but yeah. So what are the odds that you're going to be sitting in church or praying or reading your Bible when Jesus comes back? And and for that matter, that all the Christians in the world are going to be doing it because some are going to be sleeping because of the, you know, the time thing, time change, so what are the odds of that? So what does that tell you? I had a fundamentally flawed view of the second coming. In other words, in my mind, staying awake and staying alert meant this. Quick, grab a Bible or pray or get in church because Jesus is coming. Look busy. That was the, that was the essential summary of what I believe the second, uh, the second return of Christ was teaching. Did anybody else believe that? No, I mean, you don't have to raise your hands. I did. And it made me afraid. I was paranoid. I didn't, like the, I didn't like to hear teaching on it. I didn't like the movies and the books that came out that talked about, you know, left behind kind of idea, which is true. If you're not in Christ, you're going to be left behind. And trust me, you do not want to be here when the judgment comes, when the bowls of wrath are poured out. You do not want to be here. It will not go well for you. But, that's, but Jesus is not talking to people who are going to be left here. He's talking to people who are in Christ, and still he's saying, be alert, be awake. So we've got to figure out what does that mean? What does it mean? Does he want us to be irrationally afraid, to be paranoid? I think the real message gets lost in all that stuff sometimes. The hysteria, you know, the, the Hollywoodizing, this doctrine, don't we have enough of that? What is Jesus really trying to tell us here? Well, look, you know, a lot of other people in the New Testament wrote about this, uh, This is what the apostle Peter said. Just about every time this doctrine is mentioned anywhere in the New Testament, there's this call, this exhortation um, to righteous living. Listen to what Peter said. He said, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, and I'm leaving out a lot of what he said. He's talking about the return of Jesus and the earth is going to be changed. It's going to be transformed. There's going to be fire. And he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Do you see the connection? Jesus is coming back. Stay awake. Stay alert. Live on mission for him. You know what that means? It means you and I are ambassadors. That's a fancy 50-cent word. You know what that means? You know what it means to be an ambassador? It means you represent a king, and not just any king, the king, the holy king, the king who's coming back. And, and when you're an ambassador, there is no time and there is no place and there is no situation that you don't represent him. Mark, there's probably an example with being a diplomat and you represent a certain country. I mean, you always, re- I would imagine you always represent that country. And you better be careful where you go, what you say, who you hang out with. And again, not to be paranoid, but it's just to say we represent King Jesus. We are always sending vibes. We're always sending a message. The Bible says in every place you go, you are giving off an aroma of Christ. To some, it's an aroma of death. They hate it. To others, it's a life-giving, f- pick your favorite essential oil. It's that, right? Right? or Pope Paris or whatever, in the 90s. That's what it used to be before they had essential oils. Um, but the idea is that there is no time or place or situation that you don't represent Jesus, ever. When you suffer, you're an ambassador. You don't clock out. And that's not, the, that's, that's not a bummer. That's a good thing. You always get to represent Jesus. What a privilege. On days when, when you can celebrate things, and on days when... Things stink, and you're suffering. You still represent him. There's never a time when you don't. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to find a bunch of ambassadors, either showing the world what the king is really like or telling lies. That's what he's saying. One of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption in 1993-94. Um, that, that movie, I just love it. It just resonated with me in so many ways as a 21-year-old kid. And there's something really interesting in that movie, if you've seen it, and you don't have to run out and see it if you haven't. But there is a warden named Sam Norton who runs Shawshank Prison. And he's a Christian. <laughs> uh, all, the inc- all the new fresh blood that comes into the prison, the fresh fish, he gives him this little speech. And he says, you'll get two things at this prison. Uh, no, he says, I-, I believe in two things. The Holy Bible and discipline you'll get both at this prison. And then he says something like, put your trust in the Lord, your rear end belongs to me. Welcome to Shawshank. And man, the guy is, he's got this 30-year Baptist pin that he wears, and he's like a hypocrite. He is a hypocrite. Okay, he, he, he abuses the prisoners. He, he's running a, a, a money laundering scheme through the prison. And yet he's this upstanding Christian. He's got a plaque on his desk that says Jesus is Lord, I think. And he's got something that his wife cross-stitched for him. And this is this is what I remember from the movie. He's got this cross-stitched wall art. And it says something like, his judgment is coming, and it's coming soon. Something like that. And so the whole movie, this, this, uh, this crooked warden is like hypocritical. He's beating the guards, but he's pretending to be a Christian. And at the very end of the movie, if you've seen it, one of the inmates escapes and tells on him, tells everything that he's been doing, all the money laundering stuff, the abuse, and he's sitting at his desk one bright sunny morning and he reads the paper and it talks about the scandal at Shawshank Prison. And then he hears sirens coming and he knows they're coming for him. And he looks up on the wall and it says his judgment is coming and it's coming soon. And that's like almost the end of the movie. It's just really a powerful moment that I don't, I don't imagine the, the producer, the director, the writer of that movie is a Christian. But I think, man, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, he's saying this that at any given moment, the king is gonna return. And whatever business it is that you're engaged in when that curtain fall matters. Because all of us can fudge, we can compromise, we, we try to justify things like, well, the, the means justifies the ends. What well, does it? Well, what if the curtain falls right in the middle of the means? This is what one man said. The doctrine of the second coming is a powerful force for personal integrity. If you drill this deep into your heart, you'll begin to realize that you must never, ever justify bad means for some good end. Because how do you know the curtain won't come down in the middle of your means? I was on a mission trip to Romania, and man, it was just unlike any mission trip I've ever been on. The corruption was just rampant. With every every authority in the country, it was like, seemed to be corruption. And a lot of the Christians had just bought into it. It's like, yeah, you know, you do what you got to do to, to let the authorities leave you alone, almost like bribing. And we got pulled over. We were in a car making a two hour drive into the mountains to preach the gospel to a gypsy village. And we got pulled over and man, they were acting like that's a big deal. I thought, what's, what's the deal? And she said, y'all pr- pray, pray for, for the pastor that was driving us up there and pray for the translator, you know? And, uh, I said, what's going on? They said, they want, they want money. They want him to give money. And she said, most of the Christians around here do it. And so they come to expect it. Every time they pull over a Bible-believing, professing Christian, they expect money. And and I'm thinking, you know, I was young at the time. I said, well, is he gonna give them money so we can go to the village, you know? (laughs) I've learned a lot since then, okay? She said, oh, no, 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 we don't do that. And I said, well, how long are we gonna be here? She said, it could be hours. It could be hours, but we're not not bribing them because we would be misrepresenting King Jesus. He doesn't rely on corruption to accomplish his ends. He doesn't need, he doesn't need the the money. And we pray, we sat in that car and it was 30 minutes. We prayed and the policeman was very mad, very angry. But you know what? We drove up to the mountains and at the end of the day, we could lay our pillows on our head and know that we maintain our personal integrity. Why? Because the king could return at any given moment and we want to be found in him, not in the middle of some crooked, justifying means to accomplish his ends. He doesn't need that, right? The doctrine of the second coming can really be a a powerful force for personal integrity. It can, it should. And I think so often we we forget that. Maybe it can mean when you're in an argument, be the first to repent. That can be what it means to be on mission for Jesus. Invite your neighbor over for a meal in your house, even though it would be messy and you don't know him that well. Why? Because the return of the king is 24 hours closer than it was yesterday, right? And we'll be two or three hours uh, or 40 minutes, whatever, closer by the end of this message. We're running out of time. That's what, he, that's what he means. He's coming quickly. There's work to be done. There's a mission to accomplish. Five different times and with three different words, Jesus warns the disciples to watch, be alert, be on guard, stay awake. The first one implies discernment. The second one implies wakefulness, and the third one implies vigilance. Taken all together, they mean this, pay attention and stay on mission. Don't get sidetracked. That's what he's talking about here. C.S. Lewis wrote, I love Lewis, I know I quote him a lot. He wrote an article called The The World's Last Night, and he talked about how people get crazy excited and really miss the thrust of what Jesus is saying and, and passages like this. Here's what he said. We cannot always be excited. I love how Lewis gets to the point, right? We cannot always be excited. He's talking about the second coming. We can perhaps train ourselves to ask more and more often how the thing which we are saying or doing or failing to do at each moment will look when the irresistible light streams in upon it. I like that. Don't you like that? In this little story Jesus tells, he gives the illustration of the doorkeeper. Master of a house is going away. He gives his servants responsibilities. And there's there's one guy who's the doorkeeper. He's got one job. (laughs) He's got one job. Don't fall asleep. Stay awake and be alert and watch. Watch for invasion. Watch for things that need attention in the home. Watch for the master of the house who's going to come back. You've got one job to do. I love the way that Eugene Peterson in the message version says it. He says, so keep a sharp lookout for you don't know the timetable. I say it to you and I'm saying it to all. Stay at your post. Keep watch. What does that mean? That means to be sought light. I think Jesus means us to ask ourselves this question. What things are we engaged in that are just not going to matter when he returns? And again, I'm not talking about being in church, reading your Bible, and praying. Those are important things. But beyond that, the day-to-day stuff, what is it that, as Lewis said, we're doing that we shouldn't be, or the things we're not doing that we need to be doing that are more important to the mission? What are those things? I think this is what Jesus is meaning for us to ask ourselves. Are we being alert to those things? When I read the Bible, I was telling this to I don't remember which one of you I was talking to about this, maybe Melissa. But if you read the life of Jesus, you get the sense of this urgency, don't you? There's this urgency to everything he's doing, but Jesus was never rushed. It's that paradox of the Christian life. I mean, he he would go out by himself alone to pray and rest. And his disciples will say, what are you doing? Where are you, everyone's looking for you. And he's like, I know, I'm on mission here. It's okay. I want that. So he was never rushed. He was the master of the moment. I mean, he waited until he was 30 years old to start his ministry. And it lasted three years. And he accomplished more in three and a half years than I will my entire life. I mean, just as a human being, divinity aside, he accomplished more. He was laser focused. He, there was an urgency. He he even said things like this. uh, The day is at hand, but the night is coming when no one can work. We must work the works of the Father while we have the daytime to do it. And you see that echoed by the other writers of the the New Testament. Like the Apostle Paul, he said, redeem the time for the days are evil. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The days are evil. Our time is short. We need to redeem it. We need to be awake. We need to be alert. The Bible's always calling this, calling us to this. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul said, but you are not in darkness, brothers, because whenever the second coming doctrine is talked about, there's always two applications. If you're not in Christ, that day will be a terrible day for you, and it will be like a thief in the night. Have you heard that? You know the whole analogy of of a thief in the night? That's not for believers, (laughs) That's for unbelievers, you're gonna be caught unaware like a thief has broken into your house in the middle of the night and is gonna do great harm to you. But Paul says "But you are not in darkness brothers for that day to surprise you like a thief for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do but let us keep awake and be sober. So listen, Paul is not saying don't ever go to sleep for eight hours and refreshing your body. He's not saying that he's saying let there be this watchfulness you're always on mission you're always an ambassador are we looking for ways to fulfill the mission I love the way that I think it's uh, in Colossians the Apostle Paul says this walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time He says, make the best use of your time and walk wisely with outsiders. What's that mean? There are a lot of unbelievers who need us. I want to say it in a way that's memorable because I know so many people get legalistic and say, oh, you mean I could, if I don't do this, like I may lose my salvation? Listen, Jesus is not wanting the takeaway to be, if you're not caught living on mission for him, your salvation is at stake. He's not saying that. He's saying your neighbors' and the outsider's salvation may be at stake if you're not on mission for him. Does that make sense? In other words, if I'm not being an ambassador that, who's faithful to Christ, is my salvation at stake? Not if I have believed the gospel, and that's another sermon to talk about fruitfulness. But listen, if you're not living on mission for Jesus, how in the world is the world going to hear the gospel? Their salvation's at stake. How shall they hear Unless a preacher is sin, unless ambassadors go out, unless we're living on mission, that's what this is talking about. To be salt and to be light, to not grow weary while doing good, to never clock out. Let me quote Lewis one more time. He said something in that article that he wrote on the final night that was so good. Happy are those whom the end finds laboring in their vocations. Your job, whether you're a teacher, or a plumber, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a preacher, or a pilot, or whatever. Happy are those whom the end finds laboring in their vocations, whether they were merely going out to feed the pigs, or laying good plans to deliver humanity a hundred years hence from some great evil. The curtain has indeed now fallen. Those pigs will never, in fact, be fed. The great campaign against governmental tyranny will never, in fact, proceed to victory, no matter you were at your post when the inspection came. Whew, I like that. What are you engaged in right now? That if the curtain came down, it wouldn't matter because you're at your post. You were at your post. You didn't fall asleep. You were alert. You were accurately and faithfully representing King Jesus. You were being an ambassador. You were being salt and light when he returns. That's what this is talking about. Don't get sleepy, don't drift. It's easy to fall asleep at the wheel. How many of you have ever gotten sleepy while driving? That is so easy to do, isn't it? And it's just as easy, more easy, spiritually speaking, to drift off mission. If you don't do anything to prevent it, it will happen. It's a matter of time. It's going to happen, and somebody's going to get hurt or somebody's going to miss out on a message you have for them. There was always an urgency to the to the ministry and the life of Jesus. Well, I'll close with something that really impacted me. Um, In 1833, one of the most spectacular meteor showers in the history of the world, unfortunately, I didn't have any cameras or videos to record it. They just had personal witnesses that saw it. Happened in the middle of the night. And it was called The Night the Stars Fell. And they said that as many as 70,000 meteors fell every hour. And it happened all night, all night long. And the people that saw that in the South, and I read a lot of accounts. I spent way more time on this than I should have, but I was so intrigued by it. The people in the South that witnessed this, what do you think they thought was going down when that happened? They thought it was the end. And I read two different accounts of two different groups of people who had completely different reactions, okay? One was a group of slave owners which was very common in 1833 and was just as evil then as it would be now but that was a part of the culture and there was a group of slave owners that apparently had been very cruel to their slaves had beat their slaves and had separated them and sewed off their family members and had never told any of them where they were can't imagine the distress and the torment of that and when all of these stars started falling, all of these slave owners were awakened and they all ran outside. And you know what they did? They went to the slave quarters and they woke up the slaves and they started scribbling on pieces of paper um, where they could find their family members and they started apologizing and, and asking their forgiveness. I thought that was really interesting to read that. Here's another scenario. In a Christian home, a little boy woke up. For whatever reason, he saw the light display out his window And he thought, the world's ending, this is it. And he ran into his mother's bedroom, and he woke her up and he said, mommy, mommy, come outside and see the world is ending. Jesus is coming back. She said, hallelujah, I'm ready. You see the two different reactions? Which one of those was alert and awake? Guys, listen, when the sky falls, When the sun ceases to give off its light, there ain't no time to be repentant and apologizing and and asking for forgiveness. It's done. It's over. You were asleep already. It's done. It's over. That's what Jesus is talking about. The second one, the woman who was actually asleep physically, when she thought Jesus was coming back, she woke up and what does she say? Hallelujah. I'm ready. It's time. Come, Lord Jesus. Man, I love that. I just love the picture. That's where I want to be. I want to be, Come, Lord Jesus am I flawed do I have shortcomings and 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 failures and weaknesses and have I stumbled yes but have I clumsily uh sought to serve you and be an ambassador and am I hoping in the the imputed righteousness of Jesus (laughs) accomplished by Christ alone from on my behalf yes I am he was my substitute That's what we're looking for. That is staying alert and staying awake and I think that's what Jesus is after in this passage. And you know the only reason we can long for his coming, the only reason we can be confident that it's gonna happen and the only reason that we can have the energy and the strength we need to be on mission and to work towards it is because another event happened and the Bible tells us that there was darkness over the whole land and that there was an earthquake and that there was shaking and that there was physical disturbances, you remember this? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Bible says it happened at high noon in the Middle East. It would have been the brightest time of the day, and yet it said darkness fell over the whole land, and a mighty earthquake happened. It even says that tombs in the city arose up out of the ground, and, and, and dead people came to life and were walking around. It's astonishing to read that and consider that. Why? Because Jesus Christ was paying the penalty for your sins and for my sins, The wrath of God was being poured out on him. That's what we all deserve. We all deserve that. We all deserve uh, what the Bible says will happen in Revelation 5 and 6 when it says Jesus is riding a white stallion and there's a sword coming out of his mouth and he's wearing robes that are stained with blood. And it says that the kings and the rulers and even the slaves of the earth will crawl into the caves and the mountains and call out for them to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. We, de- we all deserve that. But Jesus took that punishment on our behalf, so we don't have to face that. That's why we can long, the grace of God trains us to look for his second appearing, to wait for it. Are you on mission? Guys, there's work to be done. And, and God wants to mobilize this church called Grace Life, and he wants us to all join him on mission and tell the world what Jesus is like and show the world how glorious and how beautiful and how gracious and how powerful he is, how he loves his people. He draws near sinners, the Bible says. He's the friend of sinners. Man, people need to hear that. And our mission is to tell them and to show them how it's changed our life. So let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace and for the the powerful truths that we studied together in this passage. Lord, I know that this doctrine is very confusing for a lot of reasons to a lot of people. I think we've made it so complicated. Just about every time we read about it, especially from your lips, you are calling your people to engage in mission and to be prepared and to keep our eyes open and to walk in wisdom and to not fall asleep. Help us to to be that and to do that, Lord, as we serve you today and throughout the week. Help us to look to you for hope and to have our hearts stable and anchored and secured. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that they couldn't confess, they couldn't say with certainty, that they have that hope. In their mind and heart, even where they're sitting, the thought of you returning right now is terrifying to them because they don't know where they stand with you. They don't know, maybe they've never heard or understood the good news that you love them and that you came to pay the penalty for their sins and you came to offer them your perfect righteous life to trade places with them and all they need to do is ask. Ask, salvation is a free gift of grace that came at a great and infinite cost to you, but it comes to us freely. I pray just where they're sitting in their seat, Lord, they would cry out to you for mercy and for forgiveness. They would turn from their sins. They would put their hope fully in you. And that that would happen even now, Lord, from where they're sitting. And I ask and pray all these things in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.